Campfire, spiced curry, Alabama sunset, dipped in wine. No, I'm not reminiscing about my summer holidays. I am, of course, talking about varieties of the wonderful foliage houseplant that is the coleus. it's episode 62 of On The Ledge podcast and I am your host Jane Perrone bringing you everything you need to know to keep your house plants fine and dandy. Before we dive into the world of the coleus a couple of quick housekeeping points I won't keep you long. First thank you to my new Patreon subscribers Millennial Garden Club I think I'm a bit too old to join that one. And Suzanne Masters, thank you both for supporting the show. Find out more about how to support On The Ledge via Patreon on my show notes. JanePerone.com is the place to go for that. Thank you also for the brill-tastic feedback on the Grow Lights episode of last week. Lovely to hear so many of you enthusing about that one. I know it's a big topic and we only scratched the surface we didn't get into things like photo periods and other stuff which gets really in-depth and fascinating and we will come back to all of this in due course but i do urge you to buy leslie's book if you enjoyed the interview because it is a great way of genning up on this subject matter also just a quick announcement that from next week there will be on occasion some advertising appearing in the show I hope it'll be useful rather than irritating and I'm only working with companies that I feel will really be of interest to you. So I hope this will be something you'll all embrace and it's a great way to help me make the podcast even better. So it's a win-win for everyone. Time was when I thought coleus were just slightly gaudy bedding plants that people with very little taste or indeed influence put into their gardens to fill space. How wrong was I? Completely wrong, folks. It's happened before. It will happen again. I love coleus now. I've come round to these plants in the last few years. I love them as house plants. I also love them as outdoor bedding plants now. Perhaps it's just that I'm getting older, but they really are good value for money. Dr. Hesseon, our favourite houseplant expert, refers to them as the poor man's croton. Now, crotons, aka codeum, they are growing in popularity again. But indeed, if you want to grow a plant that is a lot cheaper and easier, then coleus is the way forward. Well, if you're not familiar with these plants, then let me paint you a picture. Imagine a nettle, a stinging nettle, with beautifully brightly splashed leaves. I would say a riot of colour, but I actually think that's such a weird metaphor because who wants to be in the middle of a riot? But you know what I mean. Bright colours, a Jackson Pollock painting in a plant form. It's a member of the dead nettle family, Lamiaceae. 
And this and its similarity to nettles probably explains the common name flame nettle. There's a lot of confusing taxonomy that's plant name issues around this plant and I'll get into that with my coleus expert guest a bit later. But just for the moment, all you need to know is that coleus is sometimes referred to as selenostemnon or as plectranthus. But they all refer back to the same family of colourful foliage plants. Some of you will remember that I sowed a batch of rainbow mixed coleus back in February this year as part of the On The Ledge Sew Along and they really have been my breakout hit of that particular project. I got about a dozen to 15 plants and they've all done really well. I got rid of a few that were particularly boring but the exciting ones I kept, some have ended up in my house and others are planted outside in containers and they're offering a great bang for their buck and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now may seem like a bit of an odd time to be talking about coleus because traditionally they are plants that are sown and raised in late spring, kept during the summer and then discarded come winter. But I'm hoping that this episode will convince you that you could keep your coleus going over the winter in various different ways and maybe even try sowing some now because if you're growing them as houseplants they really can be sown at any time of year. We'll come back to the nuts and bolts of taking care of your coleus a little bit later. But for now, I just want to wonder in the incredible colour and delight that this foliage plant can bring. Choosing coleus is like putting your hands into a chocolate box and pulling out your favourites. Whether that's the strawberry cream, you might like China Rose, which has bright pink and maroon leaves. The hazelnut praline. Try the darkest purple dark chocolate or the Turkish delight. You might want to give pink chaos ago. Many have leaf edges that look like they've been cut with a pair of those pinking shears but I'm with the famous but now dearly departed gardener Christopher Lloyd who loved these plants. He noted some strains have curiously crimped leaves. I prefer those whose leaves are plain in outline but the design is on the leaf itself. Perhaps the cheapest and easiest way to start with coleus is by buying a seed mix or a mixed pack from the garden centre in the spring, a plug set of plug plants. If you want something a bit more special, then in the UK, Dibley's Nurseries does a collection of coleus and you can pick your favourites out of a selection of 28 different varieties, including one of my favourites, Combat, which looks like uh, a very lively camo pattern. But once you start to get obsessed with these plants, then you will want to specialise in particular varieties, and there are loads of them. So I needed to find somebody who really knows their coleus varieties. And that man was Kelly Norris. Kelly is Director of Horticulture and Education at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden in Des Moines, Iowa in the US. And he's also a prolific garden writer, contributing to many American gardening magazines and writing several books, including his most recent, Plants with Style. I like the sound of that one. Kelly got in touch with me after he saw one of my many coleus Instagram posts and he let me know that the Greater Des Moines Botanic Gardens is well known for its incredible coleus collection. Just guess how many coleus varieties they hold. 60? 100? Nah, a lot more than that. Over to Kelly to explain. 
coleus are are kind of a, a big deal for us here because we have one of the largest collections, perhaps the largest, although it, uh, it's difficult maybe to assess that exactly. But we've we grow 675 varieties of coleus uh, in our collection here at the Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden. Wow, that is impressive. That is an impressive collection. Well, this must mean that you've got some pretty choice specimens in there. I, My first memory of coleus was my dad trying to grow it when I was a kid. And every year he would be really annoyed because his coleus seedlings would suffer from damping off. And this year I grew, I grew coleus seedlings um, as part of the podcast on the ledge so along. And I did phone up my dad to crow about the fact that all my coleus seedlings did really well and none of them had damping off, which is really mean of me. But I was very proud of myself that I managed to grow them from seed. And it's really only this year that I've really appreciated these plants and their amazing variety and also the, the good value for money they provide. I did, as ever, look up in my my plant bible, The Houseplant Expert by Dr. David Hesseon, and he describes this plant as the poor man's croton or, or codeum, as it used to be known, which I think is actually quite nice and quite true in that the stunning foliage of this plant is really something else. Tell me about some of the craziest, most colourful and best cultivars that you grow at the Botanic Garden. Well, you can imagine with 675 varieties, we've got uh, an, an amazing assortment uh, to choose from. So that question is um, uh, is super difficult. Uh, you know, there, what, I think what we're so <laughs> fascinated by is that you know, uh, as somebody who's had some training in plant genetics, I think what is so fascinating is that these cultivars largely, you know, represent this remarkably uh, brilliant and, and plastic uh, genome of just one species. All of uh, the coleus varieties that we, we typically know are, are Plectranthus scotillarioides, and, and we can talk about taxonomy later if you want, because the, that's always a bit of a messy subject when it comes to coleus. But the point stands that uh, there are rumors or, or purportedly, we should say, about 1,500 different varieties of coleus that exist in the world today. Uh, with 675, we've probably got uh, a, a pretty solid representation of the best of the best that are out there. There's little coleus. I think some of the, the varieties we've been so interested in lately are from uh, new breeding uh, at Terra Nova Nurseries uh, out in Oregon here in the States. And uh, they, they have just really uh, hatched on to some interesting genetic developments there uh, uh, their hipsters series uh, is of note. They're these tiny uh, plants with really tight inner nodes, and they just keep putting on foliage and foliage and foliage, and they just look really, really great. We're particularly fond of uh, of hipsters Piper and Luca. Uh, Terra Nova also has a series called Terra Nova, and there's a variety there called Electric Slide. Now, that's a little larger variety that just has the most brilliant and intricately colored uh, leaves. Uh, so we're always trying to keep up on the cutting edge because even with 1,500 varieties out there, there's still more new and exciting things out there uh, yet to come in coleus. Well, how is it that this plant can be so variable in terms of its leaf color and shape? There must be something in its genetics or its makeup that makes it so eminently malleable in terms of coming up with new and interesting cultivars. Or is it just that people have done a lot of work on this particular group of plants? Well, it's a really interesting, you know, question. Uh, 
the, the nature of coleus as being plants that are, you know, sort of tropical understory sorts of things, um, you know, may confer them some, um, you know, evolutionary or genetic need for uh, an elasticity of phenotype, uh, which is to say that, you know, maybe nature thought it was a, to to anthropomorphize nature for a minute. Maybe maybe nature thought it was a good idea that this plant have a bit of ca- a capacity to adapt to uh, variable light circumstances in, in the wild. If you read old literature about some of the first coleus that were really brought into Victorian hothouses and conservatory culture in the late 19th century, they were colorful, but they certainly were not um, uh, of the sort of varied nature that we see cultivars today. So there, I think it is a little bit of both, Jane. I think I think people have uh, taken a curiosity to coleus uh, as, a, as a eclectic and wonderful foliage plant uh, uh, over the years and have really you know, dove deep into exploring those little variations and what we've unearthed is this incredible kaleidoscope of leaves um, that we, we take great delight and satisfaction in. As a bit of a cheapskate, I do love the fact that these plants are really quite, offer good value for money, if I can put it that way. So either growing them from seed or buying young plug plants, you can build up quite a nice collection. But I, I'm slightly worried now as I've got these kind of several coleus plants, which are now a good three foot tall. I know I've been propagating them like crazy, just propagating lots of, of leaf cut of uh, stem cuttings and they're all doing really well. But I'm a bit concerned about the winter time. What's my best plan of action for my coleus overwintering? Well, you know, one of the things that you can do when you bring coleus in for the winter or as you sort of try to adapt them to what is undoubtedly, at least in the northern hemisphere, lower light than we would typically have during the, the height of the growing season is is to cut them back down. You know, they're, they're not going to grow as much in lower light uh, in the winter as they would perhaps during um, you know the apex of the growing season. So cutting them back a little bit does them a bit of a favor, uh, kind of keeps them a little more manageable in size, particularly for pot culture, uh, but it also helps to reduce just some of the sheer surface area that the plant has to sort of maintain. So uh, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll kind of keep the plant in a, you know, a bit of a dwarf state like that throughout the winter. It will certainly continue to grow, but uh, it'll be at a more manageable size for uh, for indoor culture. And, and it's also really important, too, to make sure you keep good circulation uh, in the house or uh, in the windowsill or wherever you keep your coleus for the winter, just so uh, you don't have some of the challenges that you can get uh, uh, with both low light and then, you know, low, low air circulation in the winter, you know, like a, a damping off or a mildew or something like that. Right. I, in a weird way, I've been kind of treating my coleus that I've been growing this year a bit like I would a tomato plant in that I've just been kind of potting them on really regularly, moving them up into bigger pots, um, making sure they've got loads of, uh, you know, of room to grow, but also that they're being well fed. And it seems to be working for those plants that I've done that regime for. They seem to have, have just got huge. Um I don't know whether that's the best comparison, but yeah, they seem to be very happy with that regime. How do you keep your coleus at, at the Botanic Garden? Do you keep, do you have them in beds, presumably, or are, are there ones in containers? Uh, they're all kept in containers. Uh, the, the entire, what we call the mother block of the collection is maintained in our inventory stock greenhouse uh, 365 days of the year. But basically each uh, section of the collection, which is just organized alphabetically for, uh, for, for ease, uh, is cycled through, um, you know, a couple times a year, 
through a pruning regime, uh, and then eventually a repropagation and repotting regime. So we're kind of always, you know, working on some aspect of the collection in that way. Uh, the, you know, managing the collection like that helps us to keep uh, plants healthy, to keep to have nice specimens grown for uh, presentation. Now we don't feature the entire collection to the public um, at any one time, just because we don't have enough space to probably do that. So we utilize coleus in our conservatory bedding schemes and in containers, you know, throughout the, the, the garden campus, but uh, particularly in a space we call the Gardener's Show House, which is actually the only greenhouse in our greenhouse range that's open to the public. Uh, we keep a display of maybe 100 to 120 varieties that changes two or three times a year, often around a particular theme, you know, maybe a color or a particular leaf type or, a, uh, you know, a cultivar group. Uh, so we, we rotate those on display so people can have a chance to see all of the varied um, uh, selections that are in the collection. And what's, do you have any of these plants at home? Do you take it, do you take any sneaky cuttings home with you or do they, do they stay in the botanic garden? Well, for the most part, they, they stay here. However, you know, this collection is uh, actually a great example of our volunteer curator program here. Um, uh, Leanna Culver, who in some ways is the queen of coleus around here, is actually one of our, our most uh, dedicated and inveterate volunteers uh, who keeps uh, really the, the, the day-to-day of the collection. She usually volunteers two or sometimes three days a week uh, and has a stable of other uh, assistants to volunteers that kind of uh, uh, keep up with her and work with our curatorial horticulturist on staff to to really manage the collection. So, you know, what we try to do to get those coleus into the hands of people is we, we offer a collection every year at our Spring Garden Festival, which is our retail pop-up event that we do over Mother's Day every year in May. And we utilize that as an opportunity to disseminate and distribute uh, varieties that we think people should be growing. Now, you know, some of the newer varieties on the market are, you know, have some uh, proprietary restrictions, whether they're trademarked or whatnot. And uh, so we do sometimes buy uh, coleus in from the breeders and repot them and then, of course, offer the finished plants to the public. So we really are committed to wanting wanting people to grow these, including our own staff and volunteers. But yes, I think every now and then there's a cutting or two that leaves for a, uh, an at-home trial, you could say. <laughs> I like the sound of that. And is there anything left to be achieved in terms of coleus breeding? Is there any particular leaf shape or colour or habit that hasn't yet been uh, tried out and, and been successful in terms of creating cultivars? Well, you know, it's sort of uh, it's sort of amazing in that you, if you looked at the range of coleus that are out there, and and, and really the, the color distribution is, is incredible. I mean, there's everything from, you know, greens and chartreuses to things that are nearly black and about every shade in between. So in some ways, it seems as if we've really already discovered the, the panoply of possibilities. It's now refining perhaps uh, uh, at a more nuanced level what uh, particular varieties and particular hybrid groups uh, feature for specific traits. So I think what Terranova have done with uh, this this dwarfer series is great for for gardeners who keep house plants and want have, have small spaces uh, with which to work. They're very tidy plants. They're uh, they're vigorous, but they they don't outgrow the space that, that you've given them. It, this this dwarfing factor that exists in this cultivar group uh, is really really break, a, a tremendous breakthrough. And so I think that's very exciting. I think there's a lot of colors and excitement going on there. Um, you know, but some people like big coleus. 
too. You know, classic varieties like Alabama Sunset, you know, have a reputation of being plants that you can bed out because they, they just literally achieve a size, um, you know, that rivals the scale of things like hostas and other companion plants for shade. So, you know, we've got not only a, a variety of colors with which to work, but we also have a variety of sizes with which to play with, which is very exciting too. So I think, uh, you know, we, we, we don't do a lot of breeding here. Uh, we, we occasionally select seedlings or grow, grow out seed lots from particular plants that we're interested in. Occasionally, we even find one growing as a weed under a bench, and we we, we bring it up for a closer look. And, you know, we found some nice reds, uh, things that really improve the color clarity of uh, some varieties that are out there. But um, I don't know that there needs to be a whole lot more breeding to, to be done with 1,500 varieties. We have kind of an incredible array of choices out there already. But I have a feeling that there's perhaps more uh, that we've yet to discover. Well, I, I'm always uh, have a lot when I go occasionally onto a well-known auction site and you see those seeds coming from uh, far far away lands which are promising blue coleus and there's a, a sort of a photoshop picture of um, a blue plant which always makes me laugh but I am very fond and I definitely want to grow some of these for next year of the really black coleus I mean I think it's the goth in me coming out here and I know some of my listeners are really into this as well uh, there's one called uh, Black Dragon, I think, and, and Black Prince, and I think there's one called Dark Star. I'm I'm just I love though I'm loving those. I really want to grow some of those next year. But I guess uh yeah, there's the more gaudy ones too, which are fun. I mean the ones I grew this year were very bog standard. I think they were called Rainbow Mix. But it's quite amazing the range uh, w within that. You know, I've I've got some which are um which I thought were initially quite boring, which is just kind of a lime green, but they've got a lovely kind of little flash of yellow down the center. Um yeah, there's there's so much there's so much fun uh, to be had from coleus, and um, they don't seem to suffer from too many pests, apart from as you say, a bit of maybe a bit of mildew risk if the air circulation isn't any good. Are there any other major pests of coleus? Do, do, aphids are they are they an issue for you? We don't have too much of a problem with aphids. We do occasionally have outbreaks of mealybugs in parts of the collection, which is something I would caution your listeners uh, to be mindful of when you have coleus perhaps in containers outdoors during the growing season, is just give those plants a really good inspection before you bring them in for the winter because it's so easy for them to, to uh, take a stowaway from uh, the outside to the inside. And so we want to be uh, sure that when we bring those plants into the house for house culture in the winter that they're, they're nice and clean. Uh, I would add just on your uh, topic of black coleus, one that you should all look for is called shiny shoes, which is a really, really interesting variety that is not only uh, a really saturated dark color, but it has an incredible sheen to the surface of the leaves, hence the name shiny shoes, like a pair of shiny black shoes. And uh, it's really, really, really striking in a container. It's a bit slower in its growth rate and and it does, uh, so it doesn't get very big, and, and it does certainly uh, uh, grow on the slower side of things, but it is just really, really fun. But um, no, you're, you're quite right. There's just, there's fewer, uh, really relatively few pests that coleus can be, be plagued with, but um, uh, mealybugs are one to keep an eye out for. I've just Googled shiny shoes. That's awesome. I, that's definitely going on my list for next year. Oh my gosh, even more uh, coleus. Now, let's just talk about sizing here. And as you say, there are some compact ones, but some of them can get pretty large. 
the other thing that I that I people are, have asked me is whether or not they should be removing the flowers. I always remove the flowers. Some people seem to like them. Uh, what's your policy on that? They're not that dramatic, but do does removing the flowers help to sort of strengthen the foliage further? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, certainly. Certainly, there are uh, coleus varieties that do have lovely flowers, um, even with just in within so uh, the Plectranthus scutellarioides, the, the the principal species that uh, give rise to what we know as coleus. You know, the, the, some of those flowers can be quite dramatic uh, relative to the foliage, but it does take away from the foliar display. I mean, these these are plants that uh, that, that do really want to, from their biological programming, bloom and set seeds. So. You know, removing those flowers is certainly uh, adventitious for the horticultural benefits of, of coleus because you want you, we grow them for their leaves after all. Uh, so we we have a pretty I would say pretty liberal policy about pinching, particularly those coleus that are uh, on public display in the mother block. Just based on the sheer number of plants that are available, some you know it can be difficult to sort of keep up with them, uh, particularly when they all start wanting to flower in the summer. So uh, we, we never let any bloom out completely exactly, but we do you know exercise some vigilance in keeping them pruned or pinched back rather. Uh, of course, you know there are other Plectranthus species cousins, if you will, to coleus that have really uh, really impressive flowers and it's been a, a bit of a, a, a gamble with breeders over the years to try and get those really impressive flowers onto a plant with really impressive foliage and nobody's been all that successful yet but um, uh, your, your listeners might really enjoy googling Plectranthus eclonii uh, which actually comes in several colors pink white and blue these are just coleus flowers that you think of uh, only just dramatically increased in size they're 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 really really exotic looking so uh, you know some people do like the flowers and if they want to keep them uh, and enjoy the flowers uh, or perhaps you know grow their own strain from seed the next year they could certainly do that too let's get really down into the taxonomy here because in my old houseplant bible they're called coleus i was looking on the rhs the royal horticultural society website earlier and they're still calling coleus selenostemnum. You're wanting to call it plectranthus. What's going on? What should we call these things? <laughs> My mind is exploding. It's just really a mess. Uh, you know, a rose by any other name, right? So uh, it's, you know, we we uh, we really use. Um, the, we, we treat the plantlist.org as kind of our reigning taxonomic and nomenclatural authority. The plantlist.org is a collaboration of a number of botanical institutions around the world, including Kew, uh, Missouri Botanical Garden, New York Botanical Garden, etc. That really, you know, their researchers are, you know, are constantly, you know, surveying the literature of plant taxonomy and really trying to sort of sort out for the rest of us in the world what is really true the right and most accepted current name for plants and it's a working list so you can access it at different points in time and and sometimes find different answers so it it certainly evolves with our uh, empirical and scientific understandings of plant taxonomy as they evolve so as of today we treat our coleus collection colloquially speaking, um, as species of Plectranthus scutellarioides, or as, excuse me, as taxa of uh, cultivars of, of Plectranthus scutellarioides. And so, uh, which which from our worldview makes a heck of a lot of sense uh, because there are 
there, there are just so many things in common uh, between Coleus and other members of the genus Plectranthus that is, as it has otherwise been broadly known. Um, and, you know, there is some evidence that there is hybridizing that exists, uh, that occurs between species, uh, so that there certainly is some, you know, genetic support for uh, these plants having very similar sized and similar typed genomes. Um, so, but of course, you know, the, the, the literature is uh, in some array of uh, disagreement, and, and, and certainly Solenostemon is a name that's been around for uh, quite a long time. Uh, uh, people who maybe were gardening in the 60s and the 70s will remember that Coleus was one time not just a common name for the plant, but was actually also its botanical name. And so, uh, in, in a person's lifetime, perhaps, uh, some of your listeners may have now known this plant by three different names. And, and you know, it's easy for people to sort of get frustrated because we sort of like to know what the, the names of our plants are. But at the end of it, it's just our continued evolution of under our understanding of the world around us. So uh, in that way, we, we sort of just roll with the punches, as they say. Um, but, you know, with, with all that said, I'll restate that there are 1,500 or so names, uh, cultivar names, uh, that are considered valid, if you will, uh, or, or in in commerce or distribution of coleus, which is which is really quite a lot. That's that's a that's a pretty diverse uh, genus, uh, and well, and at that, pretty diverse species, since most of what we know is coleus are really all selections of a single species. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Three, I, definitely, there have been three names in my lifetime showing my age there. But, you know, I guess we, you know, we've just got to accept, as you say, that we're learning all the time. And that's part of the uh, delight of being involved in the world of plants. Let's just go on to talk a little bit about propagation. It's so easy to take stem cuttings of these plants, I've found anyway, that I that, that I'm, I guess sowing from seed is that bit of extra effort. But then again, you get a lot more plants that way. Do you have any, you not you really need any tricks, but are there any tricks to propagating these plants? Well, you know, not really. I mean, gosh, there, there may be one of the easiest uh, house plants or, or, or tropical seasonal plants that you can propagate. I, you know, my earliest memory of growing coleus, uh, uh, perhaps this was a bit prescient in the sense that I was growing coleus, a, a number of them in my bedroom on my windowsills when I was a teenager. Little would I know that one day I would come to manage a collection of them as part of my profession. So, uh, perhaps that was uh, a bit uh, a bit uh, far-reaching in terms of its uh, impact, but I was very fascinated by them, and, and not only by the fact that they grew so easily from seed, and you could get so many different varieties and types just from a packet of seed, but you know the ones that I liked, I could perpetuate by taking uh, little cuttings off of the off of the tip. I I would say to your listeners that you know don't feel like when you take cuttings of coleus that you have to chop off a whole limb of the plant. All you really need are a couple of nodes, uh, you know, one with an active set of leaves and, and really one node to sort of stick in the in whatever media you choose to, to choose to grow a coleus in. For years, we, we, we propagated the collection uh, in perlite. Um, we've actually now sort of taken a bit of a, uh, a short-ended approach, and we actually put them directly into the media that they will grow into. They, they root so easily w- without aid of a rooting hormone or or anything like that, that we've actually just taken them to, to, to cutting them and directly placing them into the final media that they'll be grown in. And we find that the plants 
uh, establish a very quick root system. Um, uh, they, they oftentimes need maybe one more round of pruning depending on how fast they grow, but it just saves, you know, the step of transplanting them from perlite or another media into the, the, the soilless media in their final container. Um, and uh, it just saves the, the shock and sometimes the, uh, the transplanting error that can occur with those delicate roots. So uh, everybody should just go give it a try. They're, they're one of the easiest things to propagate, and, and it's very gratifying to see young little plants like that uh, put out a new set of leaves, and, and uh, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just a very good thing to do. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth trying. If you failed with most other plants uh, to propagate, then you may well find that you have success with, with these. I did, I can't remember, I'm desperately trying to remember where I heard this, but I did hear about somebody who basically overwintered their coleus by taking lots of cuttings and basically water water um, propagating them over winter in a big vase full of water and literally leaving them like that all winter long, just adding a little bit of feed to the water and then popping them back into soil in the springtime, which which they basically had a vase of coleus going uh, all through the winter. And then in the spring, they would pop those up. So I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, possibly worth a try. Uh, if you've got many as many coleus as I have to uh, to, to think about this winter. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I usually pop them into water. But as you say, they go so easily in, in any uh, medium that it's it's just a delight uh, to, to have them. And I'm just looking at the ones on my patio right now, which I'm sort of, I'm going to be a bit, have to be a bit selective about which ones I actually take cuttings from because I've got so many, but yeah, it's all part of the fun, isn't it? Absolutely. It sounds like you've got quite a collection of your own. I want more. I just want more. I'm just actually going to be expanding that collection hugely. And um, my husband today said, are those new plants? And he was pointing at these three coleus that are on the desk in downstairs. And I said, they've been there for about two months, dear. And they're, they're, ma- they're absolutely massive and they're really brightly cut. And I'm thinking, how could he not have spotted them before now? But no, he hadn't really noticed them. So there you go. Um, I can get away with quite a lot of extravagant plants before anyone notices in this house, which is great. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Greater Des Moines Botanical Garden is building a web resource about coleus and I will let you know when that goes live. Do also check out Kelly's website, kellydnorris.com and I'll include all the other links to plants we've talked about in this interview at my show notes, janeperone.com. So let's talk a little more about how to propagate these plants and how to keep them looking good. If you are going to grow coleus from seed at this time of year or any time of year other than springtime, you are definitely going to need to consult episode 61 of On The Ledge about grow lights because you will need to supplement the light they will be receiving. Otherwise, you'll just end up with long leggy sticks, which will really not be great plants. But if you can stick your seedlings under a grow light, then you really can raise these at any time of year the other wrinkle coleus seed is absolutely tiny so you can mix it with a little bit of horticultural sand before you sow which will help you to spread it evenly and make sure you don't lose any spread that on some moistened seed starting mix 
And the benefit then is you don't need to add any more potting mix on top. You could put a light covering of vermiculite if you choose to. But do make sure that the seed tray is covered with a piece of glass or use one of those propagator seed trays with a plastic clear, clear lid because that way the coleus will receive the humidity that they need to get started and also it'll help keep temperature levels high. They need about 21 degrees centigrade which is about 70 odd, 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry I'm not very good at those kind of conversions. Once they've germinated, which should take about anything from two to three weeks, then you do need to start thinning them out once they get going. And once they've got more than one set of leaves, you can prick them out into individual cells and grow them on from there. And they're quite hungry plants. They will need fertilising quite regularly, probably every week or two with some houseplant fertiliser. And before long, you should have a lovely collection of coleus. Be brutal. If you've got any coleus that just don't cut the mustard in terms of the leaves or the general appearance, then get rid of them because you will end up with an awful lot of plants otherwise. Or you could always just give them away, of course. The other key to growing coleus inside is being a little bit brutal with your pruning regime. If you don't pinch out any of the top growth where the new leaves are emerging at the top of the main stem, you'll find you end up with one long tall column of a plant, which is not particularly attractive. The more you can pinch out that top growth and then indeed pinch out the tops of the stems that branch out from that, you'll end up with a much more compact plant. Coleus vary a lot in terms of different cultivars. Some are much more compact than others. In her excellent book, The Unexpected Houseplant, Tova Martin suggests the varieties Inky Fingers and India Frills as making great houseplants because they've got small leaves and a compact habit. But really, any coleus you will be able to keep small by just continuous pinching out. Likewise, well, they, it's the old indirect light story. They do like a lot of light. I have mine in my glass-roofed extension, which is a great spot because it's out of direct sunlight at all times, but they're is lots of indirect light and they do brilliantly in there. Shade them from direct midday sun which they won't like. If you've got some outside then they prefer to be in the shade. They won't like it if they're sat in full sun all day but outside there is a lot more light generally available so even shade partial shade will be okay for these plants. Now if you're thinking that you don't really want to bother sowing any coleus seed or perhaps that you can't get your hands on any, another wonderful thing about these plants is quite how easily they root from stem cuttings. So if you're wandering around the neighbourhood and seeing some beautiful displays of coleus at the moment, perhaps this is an opportunity for you to get to know some of your neighbours and make friends and get some yourself some coleus plants. So if someone's got a beautiful display, knock on their door and say, please, may I have a cutting of your plant? I would strongly advise that you don't just take some because uh, that is not a good way to make friends. But you'll be surprised how generous people are, provided that you are careful with their plants and warn them in advance. You can land yourself some cuttings. If you are planning on taking a cutting, what do you do? Well, aim to be cutting the plant off or pinching it off with your fingers just above a set of leaves and make sure that you have at least two leaf nodes. That's the little points where the leaf joins the stem on each of your cuttings. When you get that cutting home, you can strip off the lower leaves and reduce the length of the cutting so that you cut just below the lowest leaf node. That way you'll get lots of roots coming from that low leaf node. Stick them in water or in some quick draining cutting compost and you should be away with some plants pretty quickly. 
And now it's time for question of the week, which comes from Jen. She's looking for advice on her abutilon. This is also commonly known as the flowering maple. And it's one of those plants that's often classed as a conservatory plant, something you grow outside in the summertime and then bring indoors to a bright but indirect sunlight spot in the winter times. Jen has this growing on a west-facing windowsill and her concern is that despite the fact that it's putting out lots of extra leaves and seems to be pretty healthy, it isn't putting out any of the lovely mallow-like flowers that the flowering maple is known for. Looking at the photo Jen sent, a couple of things spring to mind. One, her abutilon is really not that large. I'm wondering if it's quite a young plant. This really is a house shrub as opposed to a house plant. It can grow several feet tall, but Jen's specimen is probably only one or two feet tall, which leads me to wonder if this is an immature plant that just isn't quite ready to start flowering yet. I'm also wondering if that west facing spot is offering quite enough light for this plant. As I say, many people put these outside in the summer just to make sure that they get plenty of light. I'd recommend changing the location and seeing if it does better anywhere else. Jen also notes that this plant needs watering every four to five days. It is quite a thirsty and hungry plant. It may be that if Jen hasn't been feeding it particularly often, you need a feed that's rich in potassium, which is what plants need in order to flower. One feed I'd recommend is called Maxicrop. It's a seaweed based feed and it's called Maxicrop Organic Flower and House Plant Fertilizer. If you're a vegetarian or a vegan and you don't want fertilizers based on animal materials, then this is a good choice for you. It's also worth noting that come winter, the plant may stop flowering anyway. You may have to wait until next spring before you really see any signs of progress on this gen. So I hope you've got your patient hat on. But as with some houseplants, good things come to those who wait. If anyone else has any suggestions about why Jen's abutilon is not flowering, then do let me know. Or if you've got a question for the show, I'd love to hear from you on the ledge podcast at gmail.com j.l.perone on the old Instagram or at Jane Perone on Twitter is the way to go. the packed passenger train that is the on the ledge podcast has hit the buffers of destiny once again i will be back in your ear holes next friday for another leaf packed episode see you then bye Music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Ration Pidity Pacara by Samuel Corwin, and O'Mallory by Josh Woodward, all licensed under Creative Commons. See my website for details.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.